Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. And what's up? Welcome in. Wes Mitchell here, GC Live, Monday episode of the show. Rolling solo probably for about 10 minutes here to start the show, but then we'll be joined shortly by the return of Chris Clark. Uh, Chris taking care of a little bit of business here as we start the show. Uh, just didn't quite work out timing-wise, but Chris will be on very shortly to hop in, and of course we're going to talk some Gamecock football and talk some Gamecock baseball with a series win over Missouri over the weekend, and of course South Carolina scrimmaging for the first time actually the first time of the Shane Beamer era. So that's exciting. Scrimmage was on Saturday, a closed scrimmage, but Shane Beamer did talk after the uh, after the scrimmage, almost said after the game. Uh, but after the scrimmage, he, he spoke to the media, and uh, we've been sort of digging a, a little bit from behind the scenes on, on how the scrimmage went. So we'll go into that. We'll go into baseball. But first, our show is always presented by my good buddy, Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network. Check Clint out, clinthammond.com, cl. I-N-T-H-A-M-M-O-N-D.com. If you're watching on the video stream on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter, you can see Clint's information right above my head every single show. So give him a call, 803-771-6933. If you're in the market, A, for a new house, or B, you just want to refinance and save yourself a little bit of money. Um, in some cases, could save yourself a lot of money. Give Clint a shout, clinthammond.com, 803-771-6933. Three, three. Uh, what's up, GC Live fam? I see everybody's already in the chat. Not everybody, but several of our usual suspects are already in the chat. Hope you had a great weekend. And uh, sounds like the Gamecocks had a great weekend. Obviously, started the series, uh, you know, on a little bit of shaky ground with Missouri. Uh, that, that's something we talked about on the show on Friday. That can happen. But I, I think the, uh, the, thing that we're starting to learn about this South Carolina baseball team is that they uh, they don't let themselves get up too up or get too down. And uh, while I think they do, as far as the, the up part of that, the upside of that, they do play the game with a, a level of excitement and, and they get pumped up for their teammates and they, they do get, you know, high when, when they win games and stuff. But I think when you look at the the downs, you know, getting swept at, at Texas, losing the first two games at Vanderbilt, losing game one against Georgia and Missouri. Now two weeks in a row, you lose game one, lose Friday. Um, different types of games. I think you look Friday at Georgia and you would say, okay, that was a very winnable game and you let it slip, slip away. I think you look at the game – Friday against Missouri and you you know if you're if you're in that dugout you're just saying god we did just not play well we did not play well at all not our day that happens in baseball 
But in both occasions, bounce back, uh, play pretty well on Saturday, play pretty well on Sunday, and go get the wins. Um, obviously, we talked about this on Friday. This is a a series South Carolina absolutely needed to win. Uh, you know, if, if you're going to sort of look ahead, see what's next, see what has uh, trans- transpired so far and, and what you have on the schedule uh, the rest of the way, then this is a beatable team, a winnable uh, series, and South Carolina was able to go out and do just that. And uh, and, and really on, on, you would say, Saturday and Sunday, do it in convincing fashion. Uh, so South Carolina now 21-9, and 8-4 in SEC play. I, I think, obviously, you would take that every single – Every single day of the week, if, if somebody said, hey, South Carolina, will, it'll be April 12th, 2021, and South Carolina will be 21-9 and nine overall with a series win over Clemson, a series win, a, a sweep of Florida, and then two series wins you know, over Georgia and Missouri and be sitting at 8-4, and four, then you'd have taken that all day long. Uh, so you, you get ready this week, four games this week, Charleston Southern at 7 o'clock on uh, Tuesday, that's tomorrow, obviously. We're recording here on Monday. And then actually a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series with LSU starting uh, 7.30 on Thursday. Go ahead and mark your calendars. Uh, set a reminder in your phone, a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series this weekend. So a little bit different as South Carolina travels to LSU, an LSU team that has has really struggled. And, uh, you know, I, I think it, it is a – a program that is very proud, a program that is obviously almost always good, but uh, it's never easy to go to LSU. But I, I think obviously a, a another a winnable series for South Carolina, uh, considering what we think this team, what we've learned this team now is. I, I think you can very firmly say this is a a solid to good, possibly great, depending on how things go. South Carolina baseball team. So based on what we know through obviously now a, a sample size of 30 games, you'd say this is a, a pretty daggum good South Carolina baseball team and, and a very winnable series for them. Uh, Steven wants to know what's the reason for the Thursday game. No, I, I don't think it's travel just normally. So the Thursday game is on ESPN. You usually, so at, at the end of the year, you'll have Thursday, Friday, Saturday series in order to get ready for SEC tournament play. But essentially, during the year, it's generally a TV thing. ESPNU does their Thursday night uh, sort of baseball, college baseball focus type game. And, uh, you know, they put that game on national TV. And uh, that that's generally the reason why that, that happens. You move it up so that it can be showcased on Thursday. Um, Tyler, Chris will be here actually probably in the next five to ten minutes he's going to be rejoining the show uh, after a week off for vacation um like i said in the open he, he's got to take care of something real quick but he's going to be on here shortly to to let everybody get caught up with him i, I tell you I, I thought let's see a couple more thoughts on the weekend before chris gets here for one uh, a guy that some of you know i have really talked about quite a few times in saying hey, if this kid finally can sort of put it all back together, then I I think it's going to go a long way for this team. That being Brennan Malone, first home run of the season on Sunday, a ball that uh, was absolutely blasted to left field up into the bleachers part of Founders Park. Um, 
I, I don't know statistically if it was the longest home run of the year, but th- this ball was tanked, absolutely blasted. And that that was, to me, that was big to see for Brennan Malone. Had two hits on the weekend, three runs scored. Still not, obviously, the consistency that you are looking to see from him yet. But they, they've been, it seems to me, I don't know about y'all, it seems to me like they have been just doing everything they can to try to find somebody to hold down that third base spot. I mean, you've seen... Uh, Brennan Malone gets starts there. You've seen Jeff Heinrich get starts there. Um, Jack Mahoney gets a start there on uh, on, on the Friday game. I mean, when, whenever you start putting pitchers, now obviously Mahoney was a, a great shortstop in high school, could potentially play on the infield, obviously, for South Carolina in the future, but has been primarily a pitcher this year. So anytime you're, you're making that move and, and putting him there, they clearly want more out of that third base position. So uh, I think uh, for Malone, still not a not that weekend where you look and say he's got you know strung together five, six, seven hits or just gotten super hot. But at least you see him connect with the ball, have some success. I think at times this year he's had some bad luck where maybe he does square up a ball and it's right at somebody or it's to the deepest part of the field. I I still I think if you get Bernie Malone hot. Um, or at least just get him to where he can add another power element to this order. Um, that that ultimately what is going to go a long way with this baseball team because I still think you're you're sort of at that that point where um, the first half or so of the lineup uh, you can do a lot of damage. Then once it sort of starts getting maybe to the the eighth or ninth spot, there uh, just just not as much potential for damage if Malone is able to step up and, and sort of find find his confidence, then, uh, then yeah, I think you're there. I, I think it just lengthens this lineup. And, you know, another guy, Colin Burgess, I, I think he's done a really good job. You know, listen to 107.5 today when they had Kingston on. Um, Burgess does not strike out. And I, I think that's been really big for for this team and, and for this uh, this group, just having a guy. Burgess's numbers aren't quite as, as – um, impressive as some of the other hitters on you know on this team but when you sort of add in how good Burgess is behind the plate uh, I mean Missouri came in really with a team as a team that could steal some bases and and Burgess I I think they were very aware of of what Burgess can do behind the plate and uh, he shuts down the running game of opponents does a really good job I feel like of framing pitches and uh, now you're you're getting some really competitive bats from him um, at at the plate as well so uh, I think um, Maybe, uh, maybe a still, maybe still a few base running issues with this team. They they seem to. I don't, I don't know. It seems like they have a few more base running errors. If you want to get nitpicky, than they need to have that, that they're going to have to ultimately clean up. But I, um, you know, I, I think uh, if you just look at the overall product so far, then you have to be really help. You have to be really happy with this baseball team. Uh, y'all hold tight. I got to invite. Chris Clark to the show. Um, let's see some other standouts this weekend. Brady Allen, six for 11, uh, six runs scored, a pair of doubles, and six RBIs. Uh, great weekend for him. Andrew Eister hits his seventh home run of the year. That was a two run shot on Sunday. South Carolina now has 48 home runs this year compared to just 22 for its opponents. Um, Daniel Lloyd with a good weekend, scored. 
four scoreless innings of release on of relief on Saturday, and uh, Brett Carey struck out eight in four innings. Uh, not necessarily his cleanest outing. We've seen him have cleaner outings, but um, absolutely the um, a, a big weekend for for the pitching staff overall, especially after they uh, not, not the prettiest game all the way around on Friday, but pretty pretty clean games played. I, I thought on Saturday and Sunday. Um, Steven says he would like to see a little more small ball be, being played. I see. I. In certain occasions, yes, Stephen, but I also think this isn't a team that necessarily is um, predispositioned to bunt a lot. They're not necessarily – they don't bunt a lot, so they don't have a lot of experience with it. I don't necessarily think you give away outs with a lineup like this. I, I say play for the big inning and uh, and sort of go out there. And and if, if you get the big inning, so be it. If you don't – you know, if you have a – if you ground into a double play, that, that's – too bad. That's, that's the style of play in baseball right now is to play for the big inning versus giving away outs. So, um, all right, y'all. His uh, dramatic return we now have after leaving us for a week. It is Chris Clark. Chris, they were taking bets on if you were going to come back with a fresh haircut. Um, in <laughs> fact, uh, they were they were doing buy or sell, so they were on brand with that. Wow. Well. But, um, yeah, man, welcome back. How's it going? Thank you. Everything's great. Everything's great. Sorry, I had a little appointment there that we had to get done with. As soon as I came back, Wes, not only am I trying to catch up on work, but things are breaking at the house. My body may be breaking. I guess I'll find out. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, just trying to catch back up on everything. And uh, But here I am, and I'm glad, I'm glad to be back. Yeah, so you're falling apart. Yes. Your house is falling apart. Yes. Hopefully no vehicles are falling apart. Hopefully we're good on, on that still time. side of things. Still time. Yeah, there is still time. Um, but, yeah, man, so I, I was just – I have not gone much into football. I've been talking baseball, another series win. I know y'all are, y'all are out and about. Did uh, did you get to watch any of the Gamecocks uh, baseball series this weekend? I did. I did. I, I caught uh, part of game one, but game, game two and game three we were able to see more of. And um, I caught – you know. I, caught up on some of the comments here and heard a little bit of what you've been talking about. And I mean, a big win, obviously. I mean, it, it sort of, in some ways, you know, mirrored the Georgia series, which, you know, South Carolina drops game one, sort of a disappointing fashion. And then, you know, you're able to come back and, and win the next two and did it with some, some big pitching performances, obviously some timely hitting. Um, so I thought again, really big, really big series win again for South Carolina. And you look at, you look at the landscape of the SEC just to go big picture. Just think about this over the weekend, just seeing some of the results, you know, that have been posted by teams like Florida or Vandy or, you know, Tennessee, who has really risen to be right now, <laughs> might be one of the better teams in the league, certainly in the East. They're on South Carolina's schedule. Georgia playing well after the Gamecocks are able to take care of them. You know, it's just – it's a tough league, and we knew it was going to be, but I think there, there may be even more parity than we thought originally. But Gamecocks, I think, are playing good ball. The, the We said this before the season. I think you said it, Wes. The, the point here is you want to go out and you want to win series. That's what you got to do in the SEC. Um, and we knew it, it would be a tough road for this team because uh, they started off with some pretty good competition, 
and that's continued and it will continue the rest of this year, but they're off to maybe even a better start than you would have hoped for in terms of some of the series they've been able to win, uh, the results they've been able to post. And you even look at Texas uh, right now, South Carolina, obviously with the disappointing result to them, but man, they, uh, Texas is playing as well as anybody in the country right now. You know, they're, they're playing extremely well. So it looks like the Gamecocks are indeed a very good baseball team. And there's going to be some ebbs and flows to that in the season. But I thought, you know, Missouri, far from the best team, you know, South Carolina's going to play. But I thought after dropping game one, which is going to happen, they rebounded quite well Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, I thought they they just played really bad on Friday. Like, that was kind of all there was to it. Like, they just didn't have a good day. It was kind of one of those – So sometimes you're going to have an evening where things just go wrong for you. And, and I think that, that was it for them. Uh, but – I just, Chris, I really like the the mindset of this team to be able to uh, consistently bounce back. I, I think we after we saw them do it against Georgia, um, there really, I think, was no panic after they lost on, on Friday, and that that was a Missouri program. Let, let's be honest; they just they don't have the depth of pitchers that South Carolina has. So right. as the series went on. They, you know, the number of walks, the number of free passes that Missouri gave up, there was going to be an opportunity for South Carolina to score some runs. And, and then obviously they did, you know, you, I think you put it in perspective that, okay, South Carolina scored, what, 13 on Sunday, 11 on Saturday. Missouri did their best to give them some help, I think, but you, you still give South Carolina the credit for, for getting some some big, you know, some big hits with runners in scoring position and, and, and taking advantage of it on Friday, they didn't really take advantage of that. So, um, yeah, uh, let's see. Beham said, wait, where did it go? Some, was it you? Some, somebody said something about, yeah, let's not experiment with a pitcher at third base during an SEC series anymore. You know what? I, I thought it, it kind of reminded me. Now, this was more for injuries than anything. I remember, and I I couldn't tell you the year. This was this was during Ray Tanner days, and South Carolina had had a bunch of injuries in the outfield, and Ray Tanner goes out there and puts Stephen Neff in, in the outfield. I don't remember. I don't know if you remember Stephen Neff. He was a lefty pitcher. Oh yeah, but a uh, really good athlete. And uh, they said, "Look, go go play." And, and Neff actually came up. I don't think his overall numbers were great, but he had some big hits on, on that team and some competitive at bats. And I, dude, I, I think that the staff obviously had just gotten to a point of frustration with, with that position where they're they're trying to find the you know, and I don't want to put words in their mouths that they're actually frustrated, but that was my impression. If you have if you have two guys that you've really worked in there a bunch. Um, you know, I think both of them popped out um, early in counts uh, against North Carolina with the uh, with the potential winning run. Uh, you know, on base, and uh, you know, as I talked about earlier, Malone had his first home run of the year, so that was a good moment for him on Sunday. But I thought on Friday they were just saying, "Look, if if we're not getting certain things out of this position, we'll we'll keep trying people until we find somebody." And uh, you know, Mahoney had some. He had some good plays, and then he had some some uh, mishaps, you know, in the field, which you might expect. But this this kid was an outstanding shortstop prospect. So I think you have to have the context there, Chris. That um, it, it's not like you're just saying you're not picking a random pitcher off the bench 
Again, like, go play third base. Good luck. Um, clearly, this guy's a great athlete. And um, some sometimes coaches are, are get to the point where they're like, we got to send a message there. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing, like you said. If it was a pitcher with no positional playing experience, you might look at it a little, more, a little bit more raised eyebrow. But, um, you know, it's a deal where, again, that you got to have some production there. So when you're not getting the production that you desire, you shift some guys positionally, uh, which they've tried, um, and then you try that move, which they tried. So I guess you could still call that spot unsettled. We don't really know how it's going to turn out. Wes, as you mentioned, your guy, Brennan Malone, that you have kept saying, hey, if he turns it on, that's significant for South Carolina, which obviously it is. Uh, he's still not there yet. But I've, I've you know, showed what he can do, obviously. He absolutely jacked that home run <laughs> against Missouri. And this is a guy that's talented. I mean, I meant to say this the other day when we were talking with Colin the last time I was actually on the show, is that, you know, Brennan Malone is a guy that on the broadcast, I remember – the last series, I think it was the Georgia series, uh, Tommy and Derek Scott on the broadcast on Gamecock Baseball Radio Network, they were saying that Brennan Malone is considered maybe one of the top two or three most talented guys on the team, like overall. And that's saying something because this this team has a lot of really talented guys, some really good college players and some future pros on this roster. Um whether it's really good hitters, really good fielders, in some cases both. And so that, that speaks volumes. But sometimes, I mean, it takes guys time, right, to develop. Some are at a faster pace than others. Some are at a surprising pace. Uh, but Brennan Malone, I think it, it would be huge if he could, could, could continue to emerge. We'll, we'll see where that goes. Yeah, and sometimes you just have a slump and, and nothing, nothing goes your way. And then even, you know, Malone has had some at-bats where – he hasn't looked great, but he's had some bats where he's had some good swings and he hits it right at somebody. So, right. you know, that, that, that happens. And, and we'll see if, um, if, if it ultimately pays off for South Carolina that they have, yes, they've been rotating guys in, but they have, you know, to give them credit, they've gone back to him and giving, you know, they've been giving him opportunities. So I would imagine, especially with him having the big hit on Sunday, that that will continue again. I was telling everybody earlier, Chris Charleston Southern, on Tuesday, 7 p.m., that's SEC Network Plus, but then a Thursday, Friday, Saturday uh, weekend series for South Carolina. Uh, let's let's go into football, Chris. The first uh, scrimmage of the Shane Beamer era, I guess, technically, on Saturday. A, a scrimmage that was actually in uh, – it was at the practice fields, not in the stadium, because they've got top golf at the stadium, which is really cool. I kind of wish I had – had actually gone out there. By the way, side note, did y'all did y'all see the video? I'm sure you saw this at some point, Chris. Most people on here probably did. Of RJ Roderick yep. um uh, at doing the Top Golf event and apparently has never picked up clubs in his life and got like a, a little quick tutorial tutorial, I think from Ontario Hardesty, and um then puts one and drops it like right in the middle of the target at Willie B. But, um, dude, Derek, Derek Moore's reaction to him, like the genuine excitement and, yeah. and RJ sitting there kind of like, uh, you know, I, and I, I couldn't hear exactly what he said. I think he was saying, I, I didn't even think I hit it that well or something. Like he had no idea. And Derek Moore's just like, dude, he's like, RJ, 
in golf, like that, that is a perfect shot. And Clayton right. White, like you're not getting any better than that. But I, I watch, dude, I watched that clip over and over because Derek Moore was like so genuinely excited that he was acting like RJ had just, you know, won the Super Bowl or something. And RJ's just like, yeah, 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 you know, like good shot. You know, I thought it was a good, like, yeah, that, that was a cool moment that they captured. That that was neat. And who was it at the beginning? Was it Javon Gwynn with the – somebody had like the almost Charles Barkley-esque like golf shot. It was like really – like I remember somebody having a, a really interesting shot there at the beginning. might have been Javon Gwynn. I'm going to have to go back and watch it again. The RJ part definitely stole the show. And was, but somebody in one of those videos that was tweeted out, had a very interesting golf shot. Not that mine would be any better. I, I'm I'm very bad at golf, Wes. I, I mean, well, Par- Parker White has a very interesting swing. I can tell you that. Um, Jaden Davis, the quarterback recruit, has an interesting swing. Um, I, I saw actually randomly saw a video of him playing top golf. Um, so, Parker Parker White, you said had an interesting one. Yeah, very interesting. It seems, it seems like he'd be used to. Maybe he should just kick it, kick the golf yeah. ball. To get a long way, um, the, uh, but yeah. So so anyway, I, I thought that was cool that the guys got to go play neat neat event. By the way, by Top Golf, uh, I guess they're doing that at multiple stadiums. But um, Chris, so scrimmage, uh, be, obviously nobody really got to go watch it. Um, yeah, but we we got feedback. We got a lot of feedback from Beamer. We even got an injury report. How about this? Uh, a pretty in depth injury report. Yep. Uh, some guys that are banged up right now, um, Cam Smith banged up, Eric Douglas a little bit banged up, uh, Xavier Leggett, minor energy, injury, uh, Alex Huntley battled through a little bit of a shoulder injury. He was actually really happy with uh, with Alex Huntley as far as his ability to sort of fight through that and, and keep playing. But uh, overall, based on Beamer's response, uh, he, he was happy, I, I think, just with the, the progress – Early on, the fact that it is your first scrimmage, and you know my my takeaway from what he said was just that they keep preaching, don't beat yourselves, don't beat yourselves. That's procedural stuff, fumbles, putting the ball in danger. They did have one fumble, I, I think, that he was not happy with, but overall, as far as communications, getting in and out of the huddle and, and that stuff, I, I think uh, sounds like he was somewhat happy or fairly happy with the first scrimmage. Yeah, it did, um, and and that stood out, you know, a pretty lengthy opening statement where he sort of volunteered some injury info, um, which was, you know, of course different. And I think people probably appreciated that, whether it was media or fans, just sort of know, who, you know, who's in, who's out. Um, you know, we most of those seem minor, which is good, particularly when you look at, you know, Cam Smith, obviously is a guy that South Carolina needs big time. And from my understanding, Wes has had a, had a really nice spring. So hopefully they get back camp get back uh, Cam Smith as soon as possible out there. But, yeah, that was the biggest thing. It's a lot of big picture stuff from Shane Beamer, um, it, just in terms of being able to, you know, have most of the offense and defense installed. But he just wants to see those guys, you know, play with the correct tempo, not have procedural stuff. You mentioned the fumble. I think he said it was in a third and one situation or something like that. Wasn't happy about that. Uh, said some of the quarterback, you know, procedural issues are more on the staff, probably with younger guys just trying to get them – in the right set, in the right place, show them some different things, which is, hey, that's what practice is for. Uh, but to some degree, it looks like they've been letting them play and try to figure those things out. 
I think one thing that stood out, Wes, that is not surprising, or there's two things really from what Beamer said that weren't a big surprise, is that, you know, thin in the secondary, which we knew, particularly when you don't have Cam Smith out there, you know, they need guys like Dominic Hill and Marcellus Dow. We spoke with the media today. They're, they're going to need those guys. They're going to need in the summer and Isaiah Norris, the Carlins Patel, who's transfer. They're going to need some more help there and they're going to need to stay healthy. But he did mention the, the depth in the secondary being an issue, how to walk on James Bartholomew's the second team corner today or during the scrimmage rather. Um, and then also he talked about the lack of deep, deep balls, you know, explosive plays in the passing game. Not very surprising to hear that, right? That That's an area that we know South Carolina's got to get better in. And Beamer mentioned that. Now, has it been better at other times? Was it more of an aberration? Probably to some degree, but it is a situation where we know that's an area that's got to get better, and it's a concern area for South Carolina. But Beamer did say, uh, despite that, that he's been happy with the wide receiver group's progress overall. Feels like Justin Stepp's doing a good job there. Yeah, he, he is, and I, I think um, we had a question here about Jalen Dickerson. He Yes, he has been injured. Beamer was actually asked specifically, is there anybody injured right now that it's supposed to sort of uh, extend out into the season? And he said no, and he also volunteered that Dickerson, they are hopeful, will be back for the latter like end part of the spring and, and actually be able to get out there and, and get some reps, which clearly would be big for him to, to just get some – get some snaps in this new defense, in this new defensive scheme. Uh, the, the other big takeaway, and, and it's not really at all a surprise, Chris, and I would say very much expected, uh, one, probably even before the spring, but two, based on the feedback throughout the spring so far. But but Luke Doty uh, continuing to be the sort of top quarterback. Uh, you know, Beamer didn't – he didn't even go the whole, you know, yeah, you know, he Doty – Doty's our number one, but everybody else is rotating in too, or, you know, all the guys are doing well. He, uh, you know, he he was pretty forward to say, uh, you know, Doty has been our top quarterback. And, you know, I, I think that's what we believed was the case. And uh, like, as you pointed out, they're still looking at, at all ends, quarterback, uh, running backs in pass pro, O-line in pass pro, and receivers on the other end of it. They want improvements in the passing game, particularly the deep passing game. But, uh, you know, I, I, it sounds to me like Luke Doty has established a, a pretty decent sort of distance between him, you know, and the next group. And obviously, I would say that's the case even with Colton Gothier probably giving them maybe a little bit more than you even would – would hope or expect from, from a true freshman. I, I mean, do you, do you, so, I mean, for me, I, I knew Colton was a talented kid, but I, you know, you didn't want to put expectations on him as a true freshman coming in four different offensive coordinators, uh, you know, in four years, uh, it's a big jump. He's done well. Beamer even talked about Connor Jordan, the walk on being impressed with him. So uh, it's not that the other guys have necessarily struggled. Um, it's just, I, I think right now, Luke is uh Luke has created some distance. Yeah, he definitely seems to have a cushion. And again, not not surprising. I mean, one thing that Beamer said at, at the sort of the outset of the spring was, look, Luke Doty is going to take the first snap of spring because he's the only guy with you know SEC game experience, which Doty picked up some of that last year as a true freshman quarterback, played in some, you know, big games, big moments. And so, uh, 
that made sense. But also he's carried that over and, and we knew he had those natural leadership capabilities. He showed that he started displaying that last year, even before he got on the field. And then certainly after he was able to take the reins, he's always had those natural leadership capabilities. He's carried that over this offseason, this spring. We've seen numerous examples of that, heard numerous examples of that. He's just got it. He's he's got that factor about him. But he's also impressed the staff with his talent, you know. Uh, but, and Marcus Satterfield talked a lot about it in one of his re- recent media opportunities. He said, look, this kid has impressed with his arm. He said, I knew, we knew that he had arm talent, but he's sort of gone – above and beyond that and really working on developing him as a third, but they felt like he's a natural passer, has natural ability. And then obviously the athleticism is there. So it's just sort of a combination of all those factors. And, and, but I mean, it, it ha- has to be said, Wes, that it, again, you're right. The other guys, not that they're struggling, but there's a lack of experience. You know, Connor Jordan has not played in ball games, walk on guy who's doing well, but has not played Jason Brown transitioning the SEC, Colton Gothier, your true freshman. So it's just sort of, I think, a, a variety of those factors that have pushed Luke into that number one spot. And I think that's what we expected, but he's sort of really taken it and run with it, it seems like. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think um, also worth pointing out with Jason Brown, they didn't have a season this past fall. So you're you're, you're probably going to have a little bit of rust to kick off yep. regardless. And then, Chris, much faster pace of play. And much tighter windows. I, I think that's, you know, and, and Beamer actually specifically went into this a little bit. But, uh, you know, I, it makes sense whenever, you know, high school quarterbacks, most of the time, you're throwing the football to open receivers. And, um, you know, at the FCS level, you know, St. Francis, where where Brown and, of course, D.J. Jenkins were at, the windows, I'm sure, were tighter than, than they were in high school. But it, it tightens up even more when you get to the SEC level. And then, Chris, I, I think it's all about it, – it's not just that it's a smaller window. It's that the amount of time that window is actually available to you as a quarterback is – you know, I mean, it's – there a guy can be open and a split second later he's not. And, you know, Beamer said it's been about – you know, and I got the impression the way he said it. I think he was talking more about the guys after Doty necessarily – uh, you know, than necessarily including all the quarterbacks, but probably to an extent, there's going to be this with all the quarterbacks when you're in a new scheme. I, I think um, you're trying to process so much information on the fly that I, I'm sure it's it, it's hard to sort of uh, be confident that I'm seeing what I think I'm seeing if I'm making new reads. I'm, I'm sort of having a, a different – it's a different play. It's a different – approach to doing something and now I've got to make this decision like this and then if I throw an interception then I've hurt my team you know so it's kind of I'm sure there there's a lot going on as far as these quarterbacks go right now yeah and and it's you know it's one thing even if you're out there throwing on air you know I mean you you see that in drills you either throwing on air that's one thing right because you're you're working out timing with your receivers and then you go to maybe a one-on-one that you're throwing and you got a tight window with the defensive back against the receiver. Then you add in live bullets where you've got 22 guys on the field and you've got a new play. You know, you look at Jason Brown, he's going from a one type of offense to another. And so that's a transition too. Then, you know, Connor Jordan's doing the same thing. Colton Gothier coming from high school to this level in the terminology and all those things. But 
then you look at it in practice. I mean, here's one thing in practice. These guys are going against some pretty good pass rushers, which Shane Beamer mentioned. You know, you got J.J. Anagbari, who is a really talented player, who's been picking up some sort of advanced season buzz as a, as a guy to watch next year's draft. He's going to, you know, probably have a really good year. And you got him and Jordan Birch and Aaron Sterling, these guys bearing down on you while you're trying to make those decisions. It is tough. It's a big transition. And so at the beginning of spring, you're going to see some of the newcomers sort of, I guess, swimming a little bit, for lack of a better term. And that's something that will improve as they continue getting those reps. You know, Chris, I um, when I was out at practice on, on Friday, um, just watching the guys warm up, and, of course, they're in position groups as they're stretching. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the group that just caught my attention had to be the tight ends. And just as far as the, the look of the group, the fact that most most of them are healthy at this point, so they were all out there. And, and you look down the line, you're like, Nick Muse, Jaheim Bell, EJ Jenkins, Kevion Mullins, who kind of, I don't want to say he's the forgotten guy, but we, we do sometimes maybe fail to mention him as much as we, we should because he was coming on last year. You saw what he was capable of at LSU. So a guy that's going to help this team one way or the other, we, we all, we've, we've talked about Eric Shaw and his athleticism and how, you know, is he going to be a, a defensive guy or, or an offensive guy? He, you know, he's been with the offense, but I looked at that group and I, you know, I say, man, that group looks like it, it's supposed to look. And, you know, I, I think some of the sort of um, worry on the offensive side about the wide receivers you can negate a little bit of that by being really good at, at tight end. And, you know, Beamer, Beamer was asked about EJ Jenkins. And uh, so every time we've been out there, EJ Jenkins has been lining up at, at tight end. Well, South Carolina did a, a live stream at one point last week on Instagram. And um, Jenkins was actually running around with, with Justin Stepp's group during uh, some, uh, some drills. So, you know, Beamer was asked about him. He said, you know, he's going to do multiple things. And he said his example was if, if we're down at the goal line, are we better off having EJ Jenkins in the box trying to, you know, block a pass rusher? Or are we better off splitting him out wide and throwing a fade ball to our six, seven, um, you know, receiver? And, and the obvious implication being the second one, you're way better off doing that. So I, I think depending on how South Carolina tries to actually structure things, there could be an opportunity here to use the versatility that uh, they they have multiple tight ends that have some versatility to them. So um, I think that is a key to to building this offense will be to uh, continue to um, get all these tight ends involved, maybe in multiple ways that fit their specific skill sets. Yeah, it is an interesting group. You know, EJ Jenkins, a former college wide receiver, you know, who's going to obviously spend a ton of time in Eric Henry's room. Um, you know, Jaheim Bell, who is a guy that a lot of people coming out – when he came out of high school, obviously South Carolina recruited him as a tight end. A bunch of schools did. But they just thought – and South Carolina thought this too, that this guy's just a great football player. Like some people thought he could have played linebacker if he played defense. And you look, and body type, physicality, the skill set he could. Um, flex type wide receiver, put him in the slot. He can do that. Um, Nick Muse is more of your prototypical tight end, right? But he 
He can block some. That's come along. He can certainly make some things happen in the passing game. Kevion Mullins, a former wide receiver out of you know high school and when he got to South Carolina. So, yeah, it's a group that definitely has some versatility, and it's a group that I think you're going to see South Carolina lean on a good bit. I mean, when you look at the strengths of this team offensively, and when we say strength, as a disclaimer, because this has happened before, strength doesn't mean the group's going to be elite necessarily, right? But when you're assessing, okay, what are the strengths and weaknesses of a team? You know, what are your best areas? And tight ends probably positionally one of them. Running back is certainly going to be a good position, you know, in terms of the talent available. So it seems like it would be wise for this staff to lean on that tight end position. And that's sort of our expectation right now to figure out how to how to get the most out of those guys and how to use them in certain situations. Yeah, as you mentioned, uh, I'm going to go to the other side of the ball here for a second, Chris. As you mentioned, Beamer, when talking about quarterbacks, um, I, I thought this was worth reading into. Um, just sort of as a passing comment, he was like, you know, these guys have uh, have Enigbare and Jordan Birch coming after them. Sort of just to throw Jordan Birch in, you know, in there with Enigbare, and, and he's a guy we've heard some good things about as far as his progress. But I – I continue to hear little things here and there, Chris, about how um, you sort of start to add everything together, right? Offensive line, some good moments in the the rushing department, but uh, that that sort of the pass pro has kind of been uh, hit or miss at times. And I think a big reason for that is I continue to hear several defensive linemen, Enigbare being one, Jordan Birch being one, I've heard some Zach Pickens buzz myself. I think those are the guys that, uh, A, are having a really good spring, but that South Carolina is going to be leaning on defensively because we can talk about all the other question marks on that side of the ball. But you start to look, you know, and Jordan Strong has been banged up. I don't know exactly what the issue is there. He's been banged up, but you'll get him into the mix, obviously, eventually. Um, Taka Hemingway sliding inside. I think that, that helps get him on the field as much as anything and uh, get him more as part of the rotation and, and gets you – I think you probably have eight dudes across the front and then maybe more a, as they progress that they're going to feel pretty good about. So I, I think so far it, it's worth mentioning that, that there's a positive there as far as the pass rush goes, I think. Yeah, and and I'll go back to the strengths, weaknesses thing. You know, when, when you look at assessing, okay, what what's going to be – the bread and butter defensively that South Carolina staff can feel the best about it. It it is that defensive front, specifically the pass rush. There's still some questions, I think, in terms of stopping the run. I still think there's some questions as far as some guys stepping up on the interior. How much more, you know, what, how big of a step can Zach Pickens take? You know, I think that's, that's worth talking about. And that's key if he continues to come along, but I'm with you, you know, Enigbari, we've seen, he has a body of work. You know, it's going to get overshadowed because of the poor season that South Carolina had last year and the year before. He played really well last year. He caused some problems. And so uh, that's going to continue. Jordan Birch, I mean, look, we knew the hype coming out of high school that was deserved in terms of his athleticism. He showed last season. Jordan Birch can do some things athletically at his size that the normal player can't do. They just can't. I mean, he, a normal he, human being cannot. Normal do. human beings, even normal, really good football players can't do. You just see him do some things and go, that's not normal. Um, it's And so 
the key for him was taking that obvious athleticism in space and natural pass rushing ability, ability to run, and then translating that into being an even better football player. And from what we've heard, some things we've picked up, not that he's arrived or we're not anointing him with any sort of specific expectation, but we've heard that that he's taking a step forward that has been pretty evident. And so I think that's an exciting thing for, for this staff and for Gamecock fans because, look, they are going to have to rely on that front a lot. There are questions in the secondary, can't afford any injuries. There are question marks as is just in terms of production. And so they're really going to need that front to be really, really good. And I think the thing about Birch that he ultimately will give you, this is this is something we picked up in the recruiting process. It was, it was pretty obvious, but that um, other coaches sort of felt as well. The word from for Birch was that, you know, this is a guy who can be a really good pass rusher. We know that from an athleticism standpoint, but can be um, – a two-way guy, and I say that not obviously offense and defense, but that he's got the size and strength to stop the run for you as well. So he's not just a kid that you say, all right, we got to go play him because he's such a great pass rusher, but we're going to know he's going to get run over, you know, when in any type of power situation. He, right. uh, that was something specifically when, you know, when LSU and Ed O and those guys came in and uh, were recruiting him, from, you know, from Hammond, they are like, look, this kid can come into our system and, and be a great player in both aspects. Uh, run, you know, as far as the running game, setting the edge, having the strength, having the size, but also being a phenomenal pass rusher. So, to, to be able to do those things and already have that, um, you know, that size, athleticism combination at his at his age, uh, it is rare. And then, uh, dude, I watching watching the kid play basketball several times, um, just. I mean, you're like, man, this this is not fair to be that athletic. Like, it's to another level. All that being said, um, Jonathan on Facebook, yes, he he says he seems like a hardworking kid. He he is a, a really hardworking kid. But he says, where does Birch compare to Clowney on a one to ten scale? I I don't want to give you the cop out answer, Jonathan, but I I am going to give you the cop out answer. I don't know if I'll ever. I don't know if I'll ever just compare a kid athletically to Clowney mm-hmm. because it's not fair to any other kid. Um, now, there there have been better – I'm not saying that Jadavion Clowney is the best football player of all time because he, he's not. But athletically, like as a prospect, as far as like having it all, um, having the upside – upside-wise, Clowney – I mean, ask uh, – Ask uh, Mike Farrell. I mean, these guys that have been following this stuff for decades, some of them will tell you Clowney was the best prospect they, they've ever scouted as far as there being no physical weaknesses to his game. So I don't really know if that's even fair, Chris. Yeah, I mean, Birch would be, you know, I, I don't know that I could assign it a number. If we're talking about strictly athleticism, like he, he's at least close, right? I mean, Jordan Birch, and a lot of people are, ah, skis a ball, whatever. It doesn't matter. Skis a ball's gotten a lot better. I mean, Hammond could have run through some some teams in this state that play public school ball, in my opinion, because they had some really good players, specifically a last year's or, you know, last couple years' teams. Uh, but if you're just talking raw athleticism, I mean, Jordan Birch is a guy that 
they could line up in high school at slot receiver and he'd catch a pass and run 75 yards and just be running past everybody. That's impressive. It doesn't matter the level, right? And Jadavion Clowney, we've seen him. I mean, his high school highlights are, are just laughable. I mean, they're, they're just – they're trying to triple team him. They can't. He takes the ball and, you know, sprints past people, could run track. Athletically, I've never seen anything like him. I mean, it, it really isn't close. And – he lived up to a lot of that with what he could do, you know, in college. I mean, the, the clowny play, not to get on too much of a tangent, the one that always comes to my mind is the Tennessee game where Lattimore got hurt. And, you know, Tyler Brace playing quarterback, I think, for Tennessee. And Tennessee had come back, and you just got this sense that they were going to go down and score. But there was a critical play, and Clowney was lined up against Juwan James, really good tackle for Tennessee. And he just made a play. He just he won the game. You know, he just went around him, strip sack, and, and that was the game. And that's the kind of thing he could do because he was athletically just – it was insane. The first step, it, I mean, you, I just don't know if you really see anything like it, you know. Um, so, but, but Jordan Birch, in terms of the raw athletic ability, you know, he could be in the same universe, I think. Is that fair to, to say that he can he can be in the same universe in terms of his ability to run and things like that? Clowney's also – here's another one that comes to mind, his power, right? Like a lot of people, Clowney can run, but his, his raw power – you remember they used to have that machine in the weight room where they would measure like somebody's punch? Yeah, and yeah. It absolutely blew everybody's away like on the first try, and that's nothing but just natural God-given ability, just just raw strength and athleticism he had. It was crazy. Did um, did you – when you – I know you you and Alyssa Lang went through a workout uh, back yeah. then. Did, did you all try the uh, the punch power measurement? I, I guess – yeah, they would have had it at the time. We did not. Um, I, if I was given the opportunity, probably declined. I don't know if mine would have registered on the on the scale. <laughs> and so Alyssa, you have produced a you have produced a negative reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like you're not you're not even there. No, we uh, didn't do that. They had also they had some other gadgets that that we did not use. You know the the pod that you got in to measure body fat and all the that. Bod pod. The bod pod. I, I was in better shape than from that standpoint, so I would have acquitted myself fairly decently. I would definitely not get in it now. I need to uh, need to get a little bit better before the summer hits, Wes. Well, I mean, I think we both are going to have to, man, since we're going to return um, our our combine testing uh, when South Carolina has camp again this summer. Full combine testing, um, and I what I cannot wait for because my feelings are still hurt. I'm gonna be honest. You remember last time, I think we put it out to the forums. It'll be even more fun this year. But we had people guess on the forums about. Who would win? Ah, uh, yeah. And everybody, like, I don't know what what, what everybody thought I was going to get just smoked. It was it was very hurtful, almost. Yeah, you beat me. Well, but not by much. But I mean, like, it was it was very 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 close. It was very close. But what I'm saying is, like, if it was like fifty fifty or sixty forty or whatever, yeah, nobody it, gave you a chance. Yeah, I mean, it was like overwhelming. Like, oh, that's easy. Like, Wes is going to smoke him. But I think we need to get our specific events and then we will have maybe people guess our times and then pick a winner for each, maybe. Yes. All right, we're going to do a 40-yard dash. 
And by the way, we are. It, it does look like we we need to talk about this anyway. The dead period. Um, I guess still not officially, but reportedly, is going to be over um, in, in June, and we believe that means there will be camps again as well. And South Carolina has actually already started scheduling their camps, and so, dude, we'll we'll be out there. Hopefully, we'll be allowed to be out there, and we got to do a forty yard dash. Yep, a vertical. Oh, that one's going to be um, not at all. Broad jump. And shuttle. Okay. All right. Are there any others? That, yeah, I think those are the main ones, right? Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, so we'll, we'll do that. But, yeah, so dead period sounds like, uh, I mean, we've talked about this, but that is at least newsworthy that it appears to be going away in, in June. That will be good. And yep. um, I, we, we, may, we may, Chris, at some point be – about mid-June, be like, man, I'm ready for the dead period to come back because it's going to be a busy, busy month. Yep. But um, Jonathan says he needs tickets to our combat. We may we may live stream this for y'all. That would be good. Or at least video it, and we'll definitely post it. Maybe we shouldn't live stream it now that I think about it. We'll post the video after the fact, just in case. We need we some any- editorial control of what people may see on that. Yeah. Yeah, because you, you you never know. It, it could be bad. The older we get. Um, anyway, Chris, uh, some recruiting. You know, while while you were gone, I, I feel like South Carolina sort of made a, a little bit of, of a move with, with Braden Davis to Middletown, uh, Delaware. You, you were actually, Chris, you passed right by Middletown, Delaware, apparently. I passed by the exit for Middletown. It's a little bit – I think it's a little bit north northern, you know, part of the state, so – uh, didn't go directly through it, but sort of passed the general direction where I could have gotten to Middletown. So I was definitely up near there. And I was telling you earlier, I passed so many places where there were recruits that South Carolina's after up in that up in that Delmarva area. So that was sort of neat to see. But yeah, definitely uh, caught up on that. Saw your good Carolina Confidential with some weekend recruiting notes. You know, talking about Braden Davis, who obviously did play some ball in Florida. Uh, last year, but is is a Delaware native. Craig says over under thirteen inches for the vertical. Um, well, here here's the thing about measuring the vertical, man. I mean, there if you're doing it the right way, you're not allowed to step. Like you can't step into it, and you can't. It's not like one of these things. Well, okay, I can jump. You know, people do box jumps. Well, when you box jump, you're lifting your legs up as you go. Yeah. Um, so jumping onto a 24 inch box doesn't mean you have a 24 inch vertical. Like you're, you know, they, they measure, you put your hand up and they measure the spot and then you have to jump and they, they take the difference. So, uh, it, it probably would be very ugly uh, just to be completely honest. It's going to be bad. 13 inches. I feel like hopefully we can do better than that. Ooh. Hopefully, but <laughs> Again, not- you can't you can't step into it. You have to jump flat footed. Yeah. Uh, when you uh, do the vertical, which I, I think is a, I think there's a big difference in how high somebody can get with even just a little bit of momentum by stepping into it as opposed to just going flat footed. Yeah. It, it is. I mean, it's we've watched a bunch of them, and it, it is very. That's a difficult. That that's the one. 
I feel like that and the broad jump are going to be definitely our most embarrassing, uh, potentially embarrassing events in, in the combine. Yeah, I, I, I think I'll do better on the broad jump than I will the vertical. Okay. I, that's, I, I think I can get some distance on, on it, but, but we'll see. Anyway, so if you're watching on video, um, you can see the, the highlights here, Braden Davis and Chris, a, a big kid man, an athletic kid. And uh, someone that, like I said, I, I mean, I don't know if you read the interview or not, but talking to him, he he sounds to me to be highly interested in South Carolina. You're sort of at that point where the quarterback dominoes, they haven't all fallen, but a lot of the quarterback dominoes have fallen. So there's kind of a, it's at that point where there's like this handful of schools that are still looking for their quarterback for this class. There's a handful of quarterbacks that are looking to fill those roles and we'll sort of see it's almost like musical chairs where you know who falls where but i it seems like a south carolina right now is most focused on him and b he does seem to have some mutual interest in south carolina and c he's not going to wait until june i sort of assumed oh he may just wait and take some visits in the summer but um he actually got a pretty in-depth look at the program himself has done the virtual visit stuff. Is supposed to be getting on a call with um, with Satterfield to, to talk more about the offense, and uh, it's really just closing in on a decision. It sounds like. Yeah, and and you would think that would put South Carolina in a good spot. You know, he's obviously been to campus, go check things out for himself. He's done that virtual visit that you referenced, and I think pretty quickly has built a nice relationship with the staff. Somebody that you know they've been eyeing and established contact with. You have the, you know, the Debo Williams, Marshawn Lloyd factor where they know him um and so all that seemed to help South Carolina and so you know again it looks like a good match you know Davis from my understanding what I've heard from a lot of people is a the right kind of kid that you want in in your locker room and uh has the right kind of mentality and work ethic and all those things and an interesting prospect I think is is it maybe a good word to use because he does have the size he can run definitely a pass first type guy it's certainly not a finished product, right? I mean, you see a lot of things just on film that, you know, you can you can pick out, but probably some things that are correctable and has some has some a really intriguing, I think, skill set and a guy that has some natural ability and talent. So it would be a very interesting pickup for the Gamecocks to fill out a crucial position in their class. Yeah, and I, I hate to use the cliched upside, but, I mean, um, you know, that's what you're looking at anytime you have a big kid like this. It has some athleticism. Um, you know, it's still, it's still getting, you know, polishing himself as a, as a quarterback, I think, and still making improvements there, but it's working, I believe with a private QB coach up there now. And, um, apparently punts some as well as you're seeing in the, in the highlight here, but, um, just talking to him, have his, has a really good head on his shoulders, I, I think. And, uh, really is a kid that, um, you look at how much the intangibles matter at the quarterback position, and uh, I like the intangibles and him being a fit with the the rest of the room as well. I think that matters, having a guy that's going to come in and, and fit what, what is already a group of kids that work hard, carry themselves the right way, and have leadership ability. Some people you can just tell the second you talk to them, they sort of have that, and talking to him on the phone – that was the impression I got. Good communicator, um, gives you re- some really good, you know, 
some thoughts with some depth to them and uh, is a kid who's still you know learning uh, all the intricacies of the quarterback position but is working hard to do that so um, you know we'll, we'll see where that goes but certainly somebody to keep an eye on for South Carolina moving forward and and probably I mean not that there's not a guy or two who could pop up Chris but I would say as far as just you know people always say who's the next commit if they land him just from a timetable standpoint he's probably the guy you're keeping an eye on the most somebody could always pop up but I I tend to think the closer we get to June the more the kids are going to say hey I've waited this long I might as well go ahead and, and take my visits in June that's right yeah definitely going to be a busy period I mean a, a lot of recruits that we've seen some that we've talked to working on lining up June visits we know that several official visits planned for South Carolina but yeah, th- I think this would be one that would, you know, if you're, certainly if you're the bare minimum, you're looking at who's the most likely quarterback. This is obviously the guy uh, that you would circle for that. But even in terms of timing, like you said, the fact that he's not going to wait leads you to believe that he's sort of seen what he needs to see, and, and that would possibly bode well for South Carolina as well, given, given sort of the landscape of quarterbacks. But definitely going to be a busy time in June. Should be a lot more movement for South Carolina, just in terms of adjusting the board knowing where things stand, having a better sense of that on all sides. I think we'll see that. But also just in terms of getting some more commitments on the on the 2022 commitment list, I think we'll see more of that too uh, throughout the summer and into the season. Yeah, I think the the class will take shape this summer is the way I've sort of been putting it. And that's that's my expectation. So we'll see if that happens. But should be a busy summer for the Gamecocks, both just in as far as having guys on campus and – landing some commitments and starting to fill out this class. Um, all right, that's going to about do it for today's show. But um, as Beham said, I got I got to mention, y'all, how bad was the call in the Braves game last night? Chris, did you see it? My my uh, my twin, Travis Darno, he blocked the plate. Yep. He got the tag down. Not a great throw by Azuna. I think Azuna um, suffers from the same shoulder issues that I do when he's playing defense, and that is that after throwing the ball in softball for like one day, my arm feels like it's going to fall off. But not not a Major League Baseball throw out there. Like very, you know, they they were run they were running on him on purpose. Like they yeah. knew he does not have a great arm. But, dude, why even waste our time with stupid replay if you can't get the thing right? And I, I think let, – let me take this a step further. College baseball replay is awful. It slows down the game. It, it happens all the time. So, for one, I think we've got to stop relying on replay so much, especially early in games. Maybe let's use it when it involves, um, you know, scoring plays. Let's use it. Let, let's give the coaches maybe twice they can use it, but let's stop just relying on replay. And two – the verbiage for replay has got to change from you have to have indisputable evidence, which is what they all say, to let's get the call right. Like, that that has to be the verbiage, not indisputable evidence. Get the call right. And like the play, I don't don't know if you all saw, man, that earlier last week, the Mets win a game – by a dude putting his elbow into the strike zone and taking a hit by pitch with the bases loaded to win the game. 
And it's like, so th- their their thing was that that's that's not a reviewable play, and that I guess you it's not part of the replay package. Yeah. Of did a guy reach his hand out or reach his arm out there? Did he not try to get out of the way? How how do you not have some language in there that says in a if there is clear indisputable evidence of something that needs to be fixed to get a call right, you just fix it. Yeah. Like there should there should never be a well, we all see this, but we can't change it because it's that's not part of replay. That's crap. If you have replay, there should be some final language that says if there is just an absolute cluster, you know what, on the field, and it needs to be fixed, that you can fix it. Yeah, it's too like uh, too too much like litigation. You know, I mean, it's like. There's all this legal language and stuff like that. Just just make the game better. I mean, that that's the point of this, right? It was to improve. It's supposed to be the point of it to improve the accuracy on the field. And, and there are certain look. I mean, Drew Smiley's comments from the Braves last night, I think, stood out. He didn't fault the umpire for the call. That was that was a hard call to make live. It's even a hard call from even from some of the camera angles. Some of them, it was hard to tell because you're, then you're going depth perception. Is he on top of the plate? Is he not? But you had a camera angle that was pretty clear. Dude didn't touch the plate. So then you go, and, I mean, that should have been, you know, whatever the the term is, you know, indisputable evidence. But whatever, that they messed it up. But, you know, Smiley didn't even blame them. He said it's a bang-bang call. It's coming in fast. Makes the best call he can. Did he get it right? No, he didn't. Uh, but you, that's why – that's where the replay is supposed to kick in. When you have a play that's that close, go take another look. Like you said, get it right. But we, we've seen this a lot. We've seen plays that, uh, in, in multiple sports where it's pretty obvious what happened. And then, you know, it it, it doesn't work out because they, they don't change the call for whatever reason. So that's certainly a frustrating result for the Braves and a frustrating thing overall just for Braves fans and baseball fans too. Been a lot of discussion on that. It's pretty, pretty poor. It was a bad week for Major League Baseball as far yeah. as – reviews go yes i think is the summary of the entire situation and it's been bad for a long time if you're gonna if you're gonna disrupt the game and slow things down and and you have to live with replay let's at least get it right um and there there are so many times now where it's just this whole it depends on i guess who's working the who's making the decision on that given day what what indisputable evidence even means i mean it's it's ridiculous just Say what you think is the call, and let's go with that. Is my thing. And if you re- if you really just don't know, like you have no idea, you go with the call on the field. But when you have multiple camera angles, and you can say with like what ninety eight percent certainty, then uh, let's play the odds and, and go with that. Um, all right, y'all, good stuff. Chris, welcome back. Good show. Um, we'll be back later this week. And again, thanks to. Uh, Thanks to all of you for being here. Thanks to our buddy Clint Hammond for being our presenting sponsor of the show. Check him out, clinthammond.com of the Mortgage Network. And we'll be back later this week. For Chris, I'm Wes. We'll see you then. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. 
Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.